Chapter forty five of Uncle Silas by Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter forty five. A chapter full of lovers. We had about this time a pleasant and quite unexpected visit from Lord Ilbury. He had come to pay his respects, understanding that my uncle Silas was sufficiently recovered to see visitors. And I think I'll run upstairs first and see him if he admits me and then i have ever so long a message from my sister mary for you and miss millicent but i had better dispose of my business first don't you think so and i shall return in a few minutes and as he spoke our tremulous old butler returned to say that uncle silas would be happy to see him so he departed and you can't think how pleasant our homely sitting-room looked with his coat and stick in it guarantees of his return do you think, Milly, he is going to speak about the timber, you know, that Cousin Knollys spoke of? I do hope not. So do I, said Milly. I wish he'd stayed a bit longer with us first, for if he does, father will sure to turn him out of doors, and we'll see no more of him. Exactly, my dear Milly, and he's so pleasant and good-natured. And he likes you awful well, he does. I'm sure he likes us both equally, Milly. He talked a great deal to you at Elverston, and used to ask you so often to sing those two pretty Lancashire ballads, I said. But you know when you were at your controversies and religious exercises in the window, with that pillar of the church, the Reverend Spriggs Biddlepen? Get away with your nonsense, Maud. How could I help answering when he dodged me up and down my testament and catechism? And I most hate him, I tell you, and Cousin Knollys, you're such fools, I do and whatever you say the lord likes you uncommon and well you know it ye hussy i know no such thing and you don't think it you hussy and i really don't care who likes me or who doesn't except my relations and i make the lord a present to you if you'll have him in this strain we were talking when he re-entered the room a little sooner than we had expected to see him milly who you are to recollect was only in process of reformation and still retained something of the Derbyshire dairymaid, gave me a little clandestine pinch on the arm, just as he made his appearance. "'I just refused a present from her,' said odious Milly, in answer to his inquiring look, "'because I knew she could not spare it.' The effect of all this was that I blushed one of my overpowering blushes. People told me they became me very much. I hope so, for the misfortune was frequent, and i think nature owed me that compensation it places you both in a most becoming light said lord ilbury quite innocently i really don't know which most to admire the generosity of the offer or of the refusal well it was kind if you but knew i'm most tempted to tell him said milly i checked her with a really angry look and said perhaps you have not observed it but i really think for a sensible person my cousin milly here talks more nonsense than any twenty other girls a twenty girl power that's an immense compliment i've the greatest respect for nonsense i owe it so much and i really think if nonsense were banished the earth would grow insupportable thank you lord ilbury said milly who had grown quite easy in his company during our long visit at elverston and i tell you miss maud if you grow saucy i'll accept your present and what will you say then 
"'I really don't know. "'But just now I want to ask Lord Ilbury how he thinks my uncle looks. "'Neither I nor Milly have seen him since his illness.' "'Very much weaker, I think, but he may be gaining strength. "'Still, as my business was not quite pleasant, I thought it better to postpone it. "'And if you think it would be right, I'll write to Dr. Bryerly "'to ask him to postpone the discussion for a little time.' "'I at once assented and thanked him. "'Indeed, if I had had my way, the subject should never have been mentioned. "'I felt so hard-hearted and rapacious.' but lord ilbury explained that the trustees were constrained by the provisions of the will and that i really had no power to release them and i hoped that uncle silas also understood all this and now said he we've returned to grange my sister and i and it is nearer than elverston so that we are really neighbours and mary wants lady knollys to fix a time she owes us a visit you know and you really must come at the same time it will be so very pleasant the same party exactly meeting in a new scene and we have not half explored our neighbourhood and i have got down all those spanish engravings i told you of and the venetian missiles and all the rest i think i remember very accurately the things you were most interested by and they're all there and really you must promise you and miss millicent ruffin and i forgot to mention you know you complained that you were ill supplied with books so mary thought you would allow her to share her supply they are the new books you know and when you have read yours you and she can exchange what girl was ever quite frank about her likings i don't think i was more of a cheat than others but i never could tell of myself it is quite true that this duplicity and reserve seldom deceives our hypocrisies are forced upon some of our sex by the acuteness and vigilance of all in this field of inquiry but if we are sly we are also lynx-eyed capital detectives most ingenious in fitting together the bits and dovetails of a cumulative case and in those affairs of love and liking have a terrible exploratory instinct and so for the most part when detected we are found out not only to be in love but to be rogues moreover lady mary was very kind but had lady mary for her own mere motion taken all this trouble was there no more energetic influence at the bottom of that welcome chest of books which arrived only half an hour later the circulating library of those days was not the epidemic and ubiquitous influence to which it has grown and there were many places where it could not find you out altogether that evening bartram had acquired a peculiar beauty a bright and mellow glow in which even its gate-posts and wheelbarrow were interesting and next day came a little cloud dudley appeared you may be sure he wants money said milly he and father had words this morning he took a chair at our luncheon found fault with everything in his own laconic dialect ate a good deal notwithstanding and was sulky and with milly snappish to me on the contrary when milly went into the hall he was mild and whimpering and disposed to be confidential there's the governor says he hasn't a bob danged if i know how an old feller in his bedroom muddles away money at that rate i don't suppose he thinks i can git along without tin and he knows them trustees won't gear me a tizzy till they get what they calls an opinion Damn. briley says he doubts it must all go under settlement 
They'll settle me nicely if they do, and Governor knows all about it, and won't give me a dang brass farthing, and me with bills to pay, and lawyers, dang em, writing letters. He knows some of that himself, does Governor, and he might have consideration a bit for his own flesh and blood, I say, but he never does nout for none but itself. I'll sell his books and his jewels next fit he takes, that's how I'll fit him. This amiable young man, glowering, with his elbows on the table and his fingers in his great whiskers, followed his homily where clergymen appended the blessing, with a muttered variety of very different matter. "'Now, Maud,' he said pathetically, leaning back suddenly in his chair, with all his conscious beauty and misfortunes in his face, "'is not it hard lines?' I thought the appeal was going to shape itself into an application for money, but it did not. I never knowed a real beauty, first chop, of course, I mean, that wasn't kind along o' it, and I'm a feller as can't get along without sympathy, that's why I say it, and isn't it hard lines? Now say it's hard lines, ain't it, Maud? I did not know exactly what hard lines meant, but I said, I suppose it is very disagreeable, and with this concession, not caring to hear any more in the same vein, I rose, intending to take my departure. "'No, that's just it. I knew ye'd say it, Maud. Ye're a kind lass ye be. Tis in your pretty face. I like ye awful, I do. There's not a handsomer lass in Liverpool nor London itself. Nowhere.' He had seized my hand, and, trying to place his arm about my waist, essayed that salute which I had so narrowly escaped on my first introduction. "'Don't, sir!' I exclaimed in high indignation, escaping at the same moment from his grasp. "'No offence, lass, no harm, Maud. You must not be so shy. We're cousins, you know, and I wouldn't hurt you, Maud. No more than I'd knock my head off. I wouldn't.' I did not wait to hear the rest of his tender protestations, but, without showing how nervous I was, I glided out of the room quietly, making an orderly retreat the more meritorious as I heard him call after me persuasively, "'Come back, Maud. What are you afeard on, lass? Come back, I say. Do now. There's a good wench.' As Milly and I were taking our walk that day in the direction of the Windmill Wood, to which, in consequence perhaps of some secret order, we had now free access, we saw Beauty, for the first time since her illness, in the little yard, throwing grain to the poultry. "'How do you find yourself to-day, Meg? "'I am very glad to see you able to be about again, "'but I hope it is not too soon.' "'We were standing at the barred gate of the little enclosure, "'and quite close to Meg, "'who, however, did not choose to raise her head, "'but, continuing to shower her grain and potato-skins "'among her hens and chickens, said, in a low tone, "'Father bain't in sight. "'Look just round a bit and say if you see him.' but Dickon's dusky red costume was nowhere visible, so Meg looked up, pale and thin, and with her old grave observant eyes, and she said quietly, "'Tisn't that I'm not glad to see ye, but if father was to spy me talking friendly with ye, now that I'm hearty, and you having no more call to me, he'd be always a-watching and thinking I was telling her tales, and happen he want me to worrit ye for money, Miss Maud.' and tisn't here he'd spend it but in the feltrum puttesses he would and he want for nothing that's good for us but that's how twould be and he'd always be a drawing for a licking of i 
So don't mind me, Miss Maud, and happen I might do ye a good turn some day. A few days after this little interview with Meg, as Milly and I were walking briskly, for it was a clear frosty day, along the pleasant slopes of the sheep walk, we were overtaken by Dudley Ruffin. It was not a pleasant surprise. There was this mitigation, however. We were on foot, and he was driving in a dog-cart along the track leading to the moor, with his dogs and gun. He brought his horse for a moment to a walk, and with a careless nod to me, removing his short pipe from his mouth, he said, "'Governor's calling for ye, Milly, and he told me to send you slick home to him if I saw ye, and I think he'll gi'e ye some money. But ye better take him while he's in the humour, lass, or mayhap he'll go long without.' And with these words, apparently intent on his game, he nodded again, and, pipe in mouth, drove at a quick trot over the slope of the hill, and disappeared. So I agreed to await Milly's return while she ran home, and rejoiced me where I was. Away she ran in high spirits, and I wandered listlessly about in search of some convenient spot to sit down upon, for I was a little tired. She had not been gone five minutes when I heard a step approaching, and looking round saw the dog-cart close by, the horse browsing on the short grass, and Dudley roughing within a few paces of me. "'Ye see, Maud, I've been thinking why you're so vexed with me, and I thought I'd just come back and ask ye what I may have done to anger ye so. There's no sin in that, I think, is there?' "'I'm not angry. I did not say so. I hope that's enough,' I said, startled, and notwithstanding my speech, very angry, for I felt, instinctively, that Milly's dispatch homeward was a mere trick, and I the dupe of this coarse stratagem.' "'Well, then, if ye bain't angry, so much the better, Maud. "'I only want to know why ye're afeard o' me. "'I never struck a man foul, much less hurt a girl, in my days. "'Besides, Maud, I like ye too well to hurt ye. "'Dang it, lass, you're my cousin, you know, "'and cousins is always together and loving like, "'and none says again it.' "'I've nothing to explain. "'There is nothing to explain. "'I've been quite friendly,' I said hurriedly friendly well if there bain't a cram how can ye think it friendly maud when you won't almost shake hands with me it's enough to make a feller swear or cry almost why do you like aggravating a poor devil now bain't ye an ill-natured little puss maud and i liking ye so well you're the prettiest lass in derbyshire there's nothing i wouldn't do for ye and he backed his declaration with an oath "'Be so good, then, as to re-enter your dog-cart and drive away,' I replied, very much incensed. "'Now there it is again. You can't speak me civil. "'Another feller'd fly out and maybe kiss you for spite. "'But I bain't the sort. "'I'm all for coaxing and kindness, and you won't let me. "'What be you driving at, Maud?' "'I think I've said it very plainly, sir, that I wish to be alone. "'You've nothing to say except utter nonsense, and I've heard quite enough.' "'Once for all, I beg, sir, that you will be so good as to leave me.' "'Well, now, look here, Maud, I'll do anything you like. "'Burn me if I don't, if you'll only just be kind to me, like cousins should. "'What did I ever do to vex you? "'If you think I like any lass better than you, "'some feller at Elverston's been talking, maybe. "'Snout but lies and nonsense. "'Not but there's lots of wenches like me well enough.' "'though I be a plain lad, and speaks my mind straight out. 
"'I can't see that you are so frank, sir, as you describe. "'You have just played a shabby trick to bring about this absurd and most disagreeable interview.' "'And supposing I did send that fool Milly out of the way to talk a bit with you here, where's the harm? "'Dang it, lass, she mustn't be too hard. Didn't I say I'd do whatever ye wished?' "'And you won't,' said I. "'You mean to get along out of this? Well, now, I will. There, no use, of course, asking you to kiss and be friends before I go as cousins should. Well, don't be riled, lass, I'm not asking it.' "'Only mind, I do like ye awful, and happen I'll find ye in better humour another time. "'Good-bye, Maud, I'll make ye like me at last.' "'And with these words, to my comfort, he addressed himself to his horse and pipe, "'and was soon honestly on his way to the moor.'" End of chapter 45